I'm going to speak to you from John's Gospel. I'm going to read one verse in John 13 and then take you into John 14. Um, I'm reading from the NASB, which may differ if you use the NIV or another translation, but it won't be very different. Just one or two words here and there may differ. Uh, and the gist will be the same. So one verse from John 13 and then straight into John 14 because I think, to be honest, this is why Jesus said what he did in John 14. John 13, 33. Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and you've seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? And yet you've not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father? The Father's in me. The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father. The Father is in me. Otherwise, Believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he'll do. Because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, You'll keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us here. Thank you, Lord. You say, behold, I and the children you've given me. Lord, we love that awareness of your being amongst us, your leading us, your touch your nearness. Spirit of God, would you come right now? I pray for everyone here to really sense in the heart, my Heavenly Father is speaking to me. Pray for any who are still finding their way to you. 
that they'll come to see you, Lord Jesus, even this morning. Lord, bless our time. Bless this word. Let it come alive in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And one of the things we celebrate is uh, the, the presence of God. We would say that's a unique claim for Christianity, that we say God is with us. God is in our lives. We experience God. Now, of course, that goes back to our Jewish roots, where, for instance, Moses, one day, Moses, we tell, we're told he was looking after a few sheep, and suddenly a bush is glowing with a kind of glory that's more than just flames. And he goes to inquire and look into this thing. And as he's looking at this bush, suddenly a voice comes. And God's speaking to him. God is calling him by name. God's telling him, I've got a calling on your life. And suddenly he's, he's being spoken to by Almighty God. And God says to him, I want you to go down to Egypt and bring out my people. Some two million slaves are going to be delivered out of Egypt. And, and, and if a bush is burning for Moses, when the whole nation gets there, two million people, the whole mountain kind of takes off. There's lightning and thunder and flames. And it's just a trumpet that grew louder and louder. Imagine, two million people standing in the wilderness and they're hearing the voice of God together. And they hear this trumpet sound and they say to Moses, you go and speak to him. I mean, they're terrified. There's this awareness that God is addressing them, God himself speaking to them. And Moses goes up as their representative. God uh, speaks to Moses, has this privilege of uh, hearing uh, God speak to him. And at one time, they are so backslidden, so disobedient, that actually God says to them, look, look, I'm not going with you anymore. And Moses says, no, 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 Lord. This is what makes your people distinct, that your presence goes with us. And it's important for us to understand that this was a unique people. God had spoken to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He then rose, raised up Moses. And, and God wasn't appearing to any other nation at this time. It's not like he was speaking to people in Mexico and Australia and Russia. No, no, it's just this people. This is a, a distinctive people. It was God's plan. He said to Abraham, through your seed, through your descendants, I will ultimately bless all the families of the earth. My goal is to reach all the nations, but I'm, I'm working this way. And Moses understood this. And when God said, I'm not going with you anymore, Moses says, no, 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 Lord. If you're not going with us, this is what makes your people distinct. And if you're not going with us, we're not going anywhere. And he's this great man of prayer, lays hold of God, and no, 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 please, Lord, in spite of the way we've been living, please keep coming with us. And God hears him and kind of relents and says, okay, I'll, I'll travel with you, I will go with you. And this pillar of glory, this glory cloud, goes with them. It's like a pillar of fire. And even at night, it lights up the skies and leads them on. And they're led along by this phenomenal presence of God. This extraordinary, manifest presence of the living God. That's their position, that's their privilege. And then we find in Exodus, God says to them, well actually, I want to travel with you. I want also to have a, a tent. Now they're living in tents, and God wants his own tent. And he uh, asks them to build it, and gives them instructions. And you can read, for instance... In Exodus 40, how it says, 
Uh, Moses erected the court all around the tabernacle, the altar, hung the veil. Thus, Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So there's this nomadic people, two million people on the move, and there's this one tent where God's glory rests. And if you read the detail, you'd see there were days when Moses would march through the, uh, the camp, and it says men would stand at their tent as they watched Moses come through, and then he would enter this glory tent and talk to God and come out, and his face is shining. This extraordinary privilege. There's a people that has God traveling with them, and he meeting with God in this tent. Now, I'm sure that's the background of John's thinking when he wrote uh, his gospel and begins it in chapter 1 and says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Then it says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word that's used for dwelt is tabernacled. The word, I'm sure that's what, and it says, he dwelt among us and, and we beheld his glory. Now the Old Testament says, yes, this tent made probably of uh, animal skins, and this tent had the glory. Now, now it's something much more wonderful. We have now into the New Testament. The word became flesh and lived among us a human life, no longer just a tent of animal skins, but a human life. God became flesh and pitched his tent amongst us. He, he tabernacled amongst us. As they had a tent in the Old Testament that traveled with them, now it's a living person. Now it's a human being. But it's God dwelling amongst us. D.A. Carson says this, God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man. When the word became flesh, God became man and pitched his tent among us. God came amongst us, phenomenally, superbly amongst us. And we beheld his glory. Now it says elsewhere in the Bible, no man has ever seen God. No one can see God. But this one who's dwelt in the, in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. He's come to make God known. So we can't, it's like you can't look at the sun. You can't gaze at the sun, but you can look at this light that comes from him. And, and, and so, yeah, no one's seen God, but we can see this one who has come from his presence. In fact, there's similar things in Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 1, let me read some familiar verses to you. It says in Hebrews 1, God has spoken in many ways in the past, in all sorts of ways, through his prophets and so on. In these last days, he's spoken to us in a son. Ashley says he's speaking in sun. It's interesting. I, I, I travel internationally quite a bit and often speak. I'm going to India next month. And I'll be preaching in, in Bangalore and then in Kochi. And I'll speak English. And they'll see my mouth move. <laughs> and they'll hear sounds and think, what's he on about? And then the interpreter will speak in Hindi or Maralayan or one of these other languages. And... and and they'll hear, oh, I see, that's what he's saying. 
And it says here, God spoke to us in some. Uh, you know, the, the Bible puts in his son, but the word his isn't in, isn't in the original. It says he spoke in son. He spoke to us. It's like he spoke a language we could understand. He came right down to where we are. God has spoken to us in a son, a man that speaks to us face to face. He has come to, and he's made, his, made him known. So he has come, he's spoken to us in son, and it says he is the radiance of the Father's glory. He's the radiance. Now, we don't often get lovely sunny days uh, in England. We, I'm, I sometimes you're driving along, you see clouds everywhere, and then you see a gap, and you see kind of a ray of sun, don't you? You see a, a beam of sun. And you can't look at the sun, but you can look at this beam. And that's what it's saying, really. You can't see, you can't see the sun, but you can see the beam. You can't, no one's seen God, but you can see this radiance. God's radiance has come to us where we are. And it's, it's authentically God. He has come to us. He's the radiance. And then it says in the next verse, or the next part of the verse, he is the exact representation of his nature. He's exactly like God. In fact, the word that's used is the same word that's used when Jesus was asked, do we pay tax? And his answer was, someone give me a coin, and then he showed them the coin, and he said, whose image is that? Whose representation? Same word. And, and, the, and, and it's the head of Caesar. So they say Caesar's. Because what happened was, there's a bit of molten metal and there's this stamp with Caesar's head on it. And there's the exact image. And there's another one. And there's another one. And that's, that's exactly, what is there is exactly there. And the Bible says Jesus is the exact representation of God. And I say, well, is there a God? Can we know a God? I was once in one of the churches and before I spoke, we heard a testimony. We heard one this morning. As a huge, great guy, and his kind of small wife, and uh, he had a baby in his arms, and he'd recently been converted, and he was testifying how she was a Christian, but he wasn't, and then he said, "We had this baby," and he's kind of besotted, <laughs> and, he said, and he said, "There's got to be a God." And it's one thing saying, "There's got to be a God," who made the stars, who made this baby, but what's he like? What's he like? And then this guy had gone on Alpha course and met with Jesus. And it's wonderful, dear friends, that we not only know there is a God, we know what he's like. He's the exact, the exact representation. I know exactly what God would feel about certain things. Exactly how he'd conduct himself. You know, we think, what, what, what would God's attitude to children be, for instance? You know, the disciples' attitude's pretty clear. Get those kids out of here. Jesus is going to bring them to me. What was his attitude to sinners? How he, no, no, I sit and eat with them. Ah, the religious people wouldn't sit with them. They put their cloaks around. No, Jesus sat and, and eat with them? Get close to them? What was his attitude to relig religious bigots? Pretty clear. Jesus, I know exactly what the Father's like. Because I see Jesus. Of course, there was the day when he lost it, wasn't there? There was a day where he's at the temple and he's kind of blew his top and... What are you doing here, making money in the temple? What are you doing, you crooks? Get out! And made a whip, drove the animals out, turned the table, coins flying everywhere. And I guess that evening Jesus prayed, Oh God, I'm so sorry, I messed up today. No, 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 okay. I'm not uh, <laughs> leading you astray. That was a perfect, 
That was God on display. In fact, the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God says through that prophet, I hate what you're doing. I wish someone would shut the doors. Jesus is showing. In fact, so when Philip says to him, Jesus, it would be wonderful if you could show us the Father, as we just read. And Jesus said, Philip, how long have you been with me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. We know exactly what God is like. That's why it says in the Ten Commandments, don't make any kind of image. <laughs> you can't possibly show him. I always get disappointed when I see movies of uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I love that story, but no one can show us Aslan. When I'm reading it, I can have my kind of image of him. And, you know, when you make an image, you, you know, Jesus is, he is the exact representation of God, but in human form. It's amazing. He, this, is a, this is God walking around on planet Earth and mixing with guys. He drew people to be around him. He drew uh, this dozen guys we know of, especially. We know the crowds gathered to him. But he especially gave time to be with his disciples. Especially was with them. And he said breathtaking things to them. Amazing things. Now, now I was reading my devotion time this morning, actually, and it says in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we do not preach ourselves. We don't preach ourselves. Now, Jesus wasn't like that. He did preach himself. He said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true vine. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am, I am, I am. He's offering himself all the time. This is God coming amongst human flesh, and he is God. Every need you have, I can meet and these guys are with him every day. Imagine being with him every day. And John writes later on in 1 John, we have heard what, what we have heard, what we, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled. We're now writing to you about this. Uh, it's almost like his pen must be trembling. Uh, uh, I, I handled, I leaned on Jesus, I leaned on God. We, we saw him, we handled him, we talked with him, we fellowshiped with him, we spent our days with him. Imagine what those days were like. Imagine what it was like for the twelve. I want to invite you this morning, especially, to kind of try and stand where Peter, James, John, where these guys stood, they're with Jesus every day. I, imagine what you wake up in the morning, think, because they slept rough, Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, so he's off and out, sleeping rough. And, you know, I guess they were scattered around under trees or whatever. And you wake in the morning and think, where's Jesus? Oh, there he is praying. Well, wait, I wonder what's going to happen today. What about last week? Oh, amazing. When he walked up to that leper, everyone was scared. Just cleansed him. What's that amazing. And what about when this happened? Remember when he, when he did that? Oh, gosh. Remember when he, he interrupted that funeral? Wow. Imagine when he went in, and that kid's alive again. Oh. Remember, wow, wonder what's going to happen today. And then the other day, do you remember the other day? When we, we went up to that mountain, this is what happened. Jesus went up a mountain and 5,000 people followed him. In fact, again, D.A. Carson says, because it says men and women and children, 5,000 men and women and children. And, and Carson says probably 20,000. That's his guess. 
So, so Jesus has gone up a mountain, 20,000 people have followed him, and he teaches them, and he heals them. And then they sleep, and the next day he wakes up and teaches them, and heals some more. And then they sleep again, and they wake on the third day, and it says this, he healed them all. He healed them all. Imagine a third world country, the way crowds are. I'm going to be back in India in a few weeks' time. It's just, I mean, people everywhere, people reaching out. And he, he healed everybody. It's like God came down on a mountain, like a small town, 20,000 people, and not a sick person left. But, I mean, that's it. That's the whole deal. Incredible. And the disciples are there. They, Lord, this is breathtaking. This is amazing. And then, and then Peter, or one of the guys, says to him, uh, Jesus, these people have been with us three days. You better push. This death must be hungry. You should dismiss them so you can get something to eat. And Jesus says to them, um, no, you feed them. What? No, you feed them. Lord. Well, what have you got? Well, I'm gonna, phew, this guy's got some fish and some loaves. Jesus, give them to me. Blesses them, breaks them a bit. You feed them. You imagine Simon Peter. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Well, um, here's a bit for you, <laughs> and um, here's a bit for you. And hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hey, wait, wait a minute, it's something you, something you, something you. I mean, this is, this is what's happened to them, dear friends. They are suddenly being brought into a world where God is. God's among them. And, and they're not just, they're not, it's not just behind glass, and it's not just that they're sitting down, and it's, that he draws them into it. One day, Jesus is walking on the storm, and Peter says, if it's you... Tell me to come to you. He's learned a thing or two by now. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to... No, no. You tell me to come. Then it's his responsibility. And Jesus says, come. Wow. And he's beginning... He, he walks on water right out to where Jesus is. Just a hand away. I mean, he's, he's invited into another world. The apostles live with this dramatic, breathtaking world of having Jesus with them every day. Can you imagine it? Now that's the setting into which I read the passage to you where Jesus said in John 13, 33, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. What? What do you mean? I'm with you a little longer. Now I must have read this thousands of times in my life. You've probably read it thousands of times. But when I read it more recently, I thought, gosh, I thought God said to me, read it like it would have been for Peter, James, John. Let it hit you. Imagine what it was like for these guys who've been around Jesus now for three years, and he suddenly says, I won't be around much longer. I mean, that is totally, isn't that devastating? If, you've been with, if your life was just, you were just a fisherman before, or a tax collector, you know, life was pretty boring, there wasn't much happening, and now you're in this life with this awesome person, you've never heard such purity, you've never seen such love, you've never seen such power, and he's your friend, he's with you. And he says, now I'm going away. You think, what? What? You're going away? 
Oh, this is terrible, devastating. This is terrifying. You're going away. You mean that's the end of it? That's the end of it. Now, why did I never notice that before? Well, I guess because when I became a Christian, somebody probably said to me, now Jesus is with you and he'll never leave you. And you took that on board. You think, yeah, that's wonderful. So you read this and you think, oh, it doesn't even touch you. But just for them, like that's the end then. It's all over. That's the end of, I mean, I've never could have believed and he's gone. He's going. You see, what we said, what is it to be a Christian? We said, oh, you became a Christian. Great. Well, on Sunday morning, we meet here. And then on Wednesday evening, we got a small group. And you know, it's great. Now, for these guys, what was it to be a Christian? It's to be with Jesus every day. I mean, that's the deal, isn't it? That's the whole deal, to be with Jesus every day. Not, oh, you've become a Christian, just carry on your life as ever. But, you know, on Sunday morning we're here and we do that as well. Okay, I'll fit that in, I think. No, it's, it's being with Jesus every day. And, and, and Simon Peter could say this, Lord, I've left everything. He gave up his fishing business, he abandoned the nets. I've left everything for what? To be with you. That's the deal, to be with you. That's the whole business, I'm with you. And you're not going to be here. And in fact, it says this, he chose 12 for what? To be with him. I mean, that's the call, to be with Jesus. Beloved, we, you know, later on in the Bible, it calls them Christians and so on. But at the, at the beginning, they're just people with Jesus. And actually, that's, that's what it's all about. That's the heart of the business. It's called to be with Jesus. It's Zion, the life. <laughs> I'm the true vine, you need to be like a branch in me. I'm the shepherd, I look after you all the time. It's been with Jesus. So suddenly say, I'm going away. And, and now it's into that context that chapter 14 comes, where he says, look, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. What? I won't leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. Oh, he's coming, he's coming back, guys. It's okay, it's okay, he's coming back. Jesus, never do that again. You scared the life out of me. Going away? You mean that was the end of it? And now, it's coming back. Thank God, Jesus, you rascal. You scared me. It's okay, guys. He's coming back. He said he won't leave us. Oh, oh, terrifying. I won't leave you. I will return. Now, again, we've read that verse so many times. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. So what does that mean? I mean, we've read that loads of times. It's only when I saw what it meant to Simon Peter, the thought of his not being there, that gave way to this verse that says, it's okay, I am coming back. Oh, it's okay, this, this, this life we've started isn't over. It's okay, it's okay, it's not over. He's back. That's the weight we need to give to this verse. I will not leave you, I will come to you. Now, if you, if you look at commentaries, and I've got lots of commentaries on John's Gospel, and you think, what do the commentators say? What does it mean? What does it mean when it says, I'm coming back? Well, there's all sorts of things, and this, is, this will be typical. This is Westcott's commentary, kind of classic commentary. It says, the fulfillment of this promise began at the resurrection... And the promise was potentially completed at Pentecost and is to be crowned by his coming in judgment. No one application, 
of the, of the phrase exodus its meaning. All right? So it could be the resurrection, could be Pentecost, could be the end of the age. And if you have an NIV study Bible, you'll find in the notes the same, more or less the same. Lots of commentaries say that sort of thing. I think they're missing the point completely. Completely. I will come again. So if it's just the resurrection, I mean, that is, you can't say it. The resurrection must have been so breathtaking that they could not believe the joy. He's alive again. And when you see Mary Magdalene, and Mary Magdalene goes down to the temple first thing in the morning, and when she arrives there, and, it, and, and she knows he's dead. She was there when they crucified him. She was there when they took the body down. She knows he's dead. And yet she cannot bear the thought of living another day without at least being near the body. I can't live a day without Jesus. Even if he's dead, I want to be near him. And she goes down and she's terrified, you know, what will the soldiers do? And who's going to roll away the stone and what's going to happen? And then suddenly the stone's gone. And she, you hear this heart-rending cry. They've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. I mean, he's dead. But the thought of not being around Jesus is unspeakable. I can't bear it. And then she suddenly hears, Mary, Rabbi, he's alive. I mean, resurrection's pretty good. But six weeks later, he's off. And I think Simon Peter could say, you said you weren't leaving us. Not just a brief visit. So I don't think the resurrection is what it's talking about. Although the resurrection is wonderful. And I don't think he's talking about the end of the world either. Because although that is also wonderful, isn't it? I mean, it's wonderful because sometimes you can look around and think, what is going on? I mean, the ozone layer's breaking up. The climate's changing. What's going on? Muslims are taking over. The economy's on the knife edge. What's going on? What's going to happen? Well, Jesus is going to come. It's wonderful, isn't it? To know that it's a story that is complete. If there is an end to the story, he will come with glory. And that people from every tribe and tongue will be there. It's glorious. It's glorious to know that. He's great. And Peter says, okay, I'm coming back. In um, three or four thousand years. What? Three or four thousand years? What about next week? You know, the fact you're coming back in thousands of years doesn't do much for me now. No, I think he's talking about something else. A man called William Hendrickson, who's a fairly conservative scholar, he says this in his commentary. I think he's got it right. What Jesus means is my departure won't be like that of a father whose children are left as orphans when he dies. In the spirit, I am myself coming back to you. When the spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. Thus only can it be explained that the disciples are not left as orphans. I believe on the day of Pentecost when suddenly you can hear this kind of hurricane in heaven, this mighty rushing wind, what on earth is that? And then fire falls on them. I can imagine Simon Peter saying, he's back, he's back. 
And you read the book of Acts, and that's exactly what it looks like. It's like, I thought I smashed him. What's that? How's that guy got healed over there? And Stephen's preaching, people are getting healed over there. And Philip's preaching down there, and people are getting healed over there. And Peter and John, and what's going on here? I thought I killed him. He's everywhere. He's back. He's back. I won't leave you. See, dear friends, it's very possible for us to water down what it is to be a believer so much that we miss this completely. We miss the wonder of this glorious Christ who's committed himself to be with us. And by the Spirit, he has returned. He's with us now. He's with us. Otherwise, what are, what are Christians? Are, are Christians a group of people who gather to a fading memory of what it used to be like when Jesus was here? See, we had a pastor in Brighton where I've been for some 30 years. In the last, I guess, about seven years, there was a wonderful guy uh, called Peter Brooks who was an Australian. He, was, he became the pastor of the church for seven years. I mean, he was just larger than life, fabulous personality, very loving, warm, just a great, great guy. And we all loved him. And then the day came, and he always told me it would come, when he would go back to Sydney. He's now leading our church and other things in that part of the world. Got a good church in Sydney. It's growing. But there came the day, you know, when we said, we said, we had our parties. We said goodbye to Peter and Susan and their children. And they went, bye-bye, Pete. And then I remember the next morning, I drove down to church. And I'm driving down to and I'm thinking, where's Pete's car? Is he, oh, now he's gone, you fool. He's gone. He's gone, and because he's gone, he's not there. The kind of fading memory of what it used to be like when Pete was there. Is that the church? Is the church kind of group of people? Do you remember when Jesus used to be around? And remember when he said, oh, yeah, that was, oh, I mustn't forget that one. Write that one down. That was very good teaching. Yeah, we write that one down. And do you remember when he did, oh, mustn't forget that. Let's write that down. He did that, and he said that. And well, wasn't it when, Jesus, when God used to be with us, when Jesus used to be around, I mustn't forget it. And then we can all gather, you know, from time to time, we can read out what, what it was like when God was with us. Is that the church? Is the church a group of people who gather to a fading memory of what it used to be like when God was with us? Or is the church a people gathering to the presence of God? I won't leave you orphans. That would have been the best news that Peter could have heard that day. I'll come to you. I think this is what this is all about. That's why I jumped as I did to verse 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and so on. I mean, we love that verse. We say, oh, you know, good verse, Jesus. I'll put that one on the wall, you know, in the calendar. Good verse, Jesus. No, it's coming to people. He's just said to them, I'm off. What? Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I just want to suggest one other thing, too, before I finish in my father's house from many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. What does that mean? I go to prepare a place for you. I think for some, many of us, we think, well, well, that means, you know, when I die, there's lots of rooms up there, and Jesus is getting one ready for me. You know, it's like he's giving it a fresh lick of paint, and he's pumping up the cushions. I'm getting a place ready for you. You've got to put it in context. What does it mean to Simon Peter? Is he talking about death suddenly? When you die, he just said we're going to take the world on. 
won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. Here, if, if, if we said that verse later in the chapter, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you, that's talking about the Spirit coming, I'm sure. Well, what does it mean at the beginning of the chapter? I, he says, I'll go to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you can be also. So it's in the same chapter. Then you'll know, I'm in the Father. The Father's in me, and I am in you. When I started reading it this way, I wrote in my margin of my Bible, every day, Jesus, you are my dwelling place. I will receive you to myself. That where I am, you can be. How does that happen? By the Holy Spirit. Every day we can, we can be in his presence. We can enjoy him. We can shut the door and be with him. We can fellowship with him. We can talk with him. We can be with Jesus. We can open the Bible and say, Lord, speak to me again this morning. Let me know your fellowship. Let me know your companionship. I want to be with you, Lord. Beloved, that's what it is to be a Christian. It isn't that we meet here Sunday morning and Wednesday night. But this is great. It's being with Jesus. Spending your life with Jesus. Being like Mary Magdalene, I cannot bear the thought of a day going without being around him, without sensing his nearness, without taking advantage of it, that we can be with God. Hallelujah. We'll close in prayer in a moment, but just to say one other thing is that, yeah, he said to them, this is the things I do, you should do also, because I'll be back with you. I'll be back with you. And since I've read this and kind of seen it from this perspective it's quicker my faith about healing for instance the Lord's here <laughs> so the Lord loves to heal us he said I won't leave you I'll come to you so we'll close the meeting in a moment but afterwards I'd love to pray for any who'd like to be prayed for especially I'd love to pray for any who have this morning I feel if you've got lower back pain okay, if you've got Pain here, you, you live with pain in your back. I'd love to pray for you. If you have arthritic knees, I'd love to pray for you. If you, have, you can't move your neck or shoulders, or maybe you're raising your arm. I was in the church at um, Sunbury a few weeks ago, and a lady, uh, she said, did you notice me in the worship group? And I, I had someone, I noticed you were there. She said, did you notice I put my hands this high? And I said, to be honest, I, I didn't notice. And she said, well, that's as far as I can get my hands. I said, I can't get them any, that's the range of my arm movement. And then she pointed to her neck and got four, a, a, a scar, four vertebrae. She said, that's, that's it, and I had surgery, I can't move. And I, I prayed for some people, and their backs had been healed, and she, she said, hey, would you pray for me now? And I said, yeah, of course, I'll pray for you. And I put my hands on her shoulder, began to pray for her. And she began to raise her arms a little. He said, well, I'm scared. I said, come on, let's go for it, shall we? Let's pray again. And she began to raise her arms and raise her arms and raise her arms and raise her arms. And as she's doing this, tears start flowing here. She's got this big smile here and tears here. And her friends are all standing around. Hey, look, 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 look. And, she's got, and then she put her hands in her hair. She said, I haven't done this for some years. She said, friends come around two or three days a week to shampoo my hair for me because I can't, I can't do it. 
I can't do this. I can't. She's, I can't do this. Then she put her hands behind her back. She said, I haven't held hands behind my back for years. Completely free. Jesus did that in a meeting just a few weeks ago. Because he's here amongst us. He's amongst us. I was in Oman, and uh, the administrator of a conference I was speaking at in Oman, the lady, and uh, she was very busy on the Saturday night when I was praying for people. And on the Sunday morning, she came while people were milling around and arriving and saying hi to one another. She said, would you pray for me? I've got a frozen shoulder. I can't move. It's totally... I prayed for her, and, uh, and she was complete. Her arms going around like a windmill. Whee! Look at this. It's all free. And I saw this girl on the platform. She's looking on in wonder. And then she came down and said, would you pray for me? I've got a bad back. I saw you people. From... And I prayed for her, and she was immediately healed. And then this, they both gave testimony in the evening. And then later the mother came to me. She said, that young woman, 22 years old actually, when you get to my age, you call everybody girls. <laughs> she said she was an atheist this morning. But when she saw my arm, she came to get healed and she'd been saved today. Jesus is amongst us. He's amongst us. He heals. He makes himself known. He wants to have fellowship with you every day. Can we stand to pray?